these military families that are mainly over at the Marine Corps Air Station, uh, Miramar, are young families. They're away from their own families. And, you know, having a baby can be a little bit of a daunting experience. So we provide baskets for these families. The baby baskets are comprised of a lot of different little baby items. We have baby gowns, little onesies, little booties. We have the normal things like baby wipes or baby powder, baby lotion. And we try and give these baby baskets out every month. So it's wonderful to be able to stand in that gap for a moment to be able to donate that sort of thing to them. And they're so appreciative. The idea that others would care and have compassion, that's what Jesus wants us to be, is compassionate. We respect our service members so much because of what they do for our country, the sacrifices that they make, that we want to be able to give back. They are our neighbors, and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to be able to bless them and to encourage them and let them know that there are people who do love them and care for them.
Well, good morning. We're continuing our series in The Good Life According to God, and we're talking about the power of healthy community in Christ, uh, the power of healthy community in Christ. And I want to start with a question. How has knowing Christ changed your view of the good life? Whether you grew up as a, as a child in a believing home, or it was in junior high or high school that you came to know Christ, or maybe in college, perhaps as an adult, however uh, that looked for you and worked for you, in the time that you've been walking with the Lord, uh, what have you learned about the good life? Uh, what would you say if somebody said, well, tell me about the good life? I want to live a good life, and I want to live the good life. Uh, what would you tell them? Uh, but I want to start with a, a more personal question uh, <laughs> as we talk about uh, the good life according to God. Have you ever had a, a, an experience that you felt was a failure, an embarrassment, and that you regret? That you would love to be able to do a do-over? If so, raise your hand. Uh, I, I'm asking the question. I want to be sure uh, that I'm with people I can relate to and can relate to me. Because I have certainly um, experienced a number of fails and embarrassing moments and, and regretful behaviors um, that I, I would love to do over. And this is where the Lord meets us as He draws us into uh, the good life according to God and equips us to live it fully. Because God is all about um, helping us live the good life. Uh, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. Uh, not a busy life necessarily, uh, not a, a wealthy life, or not, not a particularly difficult life, but a life that's full uh, of God and is, is transformational um, in us and through us. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, when I was 11 years old, it was a very, very difficult summer. Uh, my parents had separated. We had moved uh, from Tucson, Arizona to uh, California, to San Jose. My mom had just taken me and my four siblings, five kids, 11 and under, and uh, just left uh, to get away from a very difficult situation. And uh, I was working some odd jobs in the neighborhood. In this, in this, I lived, we lived in a little apartment. I was about to enter seventh grade, a very stressful time. And I decided uh, I needed to treat myself to an ice cream pie. The hot San Jose summer, and I've been earning some money, and I thought, I'm going to buy myself an ice cream pie. So I buy this frozen confection uh, and bring it back to our hot apartment. And I sit down, and I start eating this thing. And, of course, my four siblings are saying, hey, can I have some? And I said, no, this is just mine. And my mom was there, and she said, well, aren't you going to share it with everybody? And uh, I said, no, I'm just going to eat it. And so she said, fine. So I started eating this ice cream pie. And I didn't realize how, how quickly you could get tired of eating ice cream. So I'm eating this thing and realizing, man, it's just not getting better. It's getting harder to eat this thing. So I said, hey, I'm going to share this with everybody now. And my mom said, oh, no, you're going to eat the whole thing. It's yours. And so I, I kept eating it. And finally, I couldn't take one more bite. I was so sick of eating this ice cream pie. I said, look, I, I, I don't want it anymore, and I can't eat anymore. And so my mom relented and let me you know, share it with my siblings. Uh, sort of a silly story, but indicative 
of what I've come later to understand is a good life. The good life is a life that's shared. <laughs> a good life is a life that blesses other people. Um, have you had experiences like that where you wanted something so badly, you didn't really care how it affected the people around you? Have you made decisions that you knew would actually hurt some people, leave them out, uh, perhaps have a break in a relationship? Have you done some things that uh, you say, what was I thinking about? I'm guessing what you were thinking about is you wanted something more. You wanted something more so badly, uh, you were willing to almost do anything to get it. I don't know if you were following the news recently, it was a week ago, uh, that sentencing came down for uh, Lori Laughlin and her husband Massimo Giannulli as part of this college scam. People were uh, bribing uh, admissions officers. They were creating false uh, resumes for their kids so they could qualify to get into the college of their choice. Um, uh, apparently, uh, that couple had gone to USC. They wanted their daughters to be able to go to USC. The daughters weren't qualified to go to USC. And so they went through this whole machination uh, that then finally included the daughters themselves to, to get into the school. And it was a mess. So here they are at their sentencing last week, and the judge says this. Uh, speaking directly to Lori Laughlin, uh, you had a fairy tale life, a career as an admired, successful, professional actor, two healthy children, a long standing marriage, and more money than you could possibly need. And yet, you stand before me as a convicted felon. And for what? For the inexplicable desire to have even more. Now, of course, at that moment of courtroom drama, I'm sure she's regretting everything she did, all the reasons it compelled her to do it and uh, wishes she could have a do-over. Uh, this is heartbreaking uh, in every way. And yet, and yet, is this unusual? Well, yeah, not every parent bribes their way into college, but is this sort of impulse unusual? The inexplicable desire to have even more. Can you relate to that? I certainly can. Uh, maybe it's just the 11-year-old kid version, eating an ice cream pie till you're sick of it. And it gets worse. It gets more complicated. It affects more people. It, it, it damages reputations and undermines credibility. But is it so unusual that we inexplicably desire to have even more? I don't think so. I think this destructive desire uh, for more is part of our human nature, part of our conflicted human nature. Now, I've already said that God wants us to have life in all its fullness, so having more of that life that God wants to give us isn't the issue. Uh, the issue is, is described by John, uh, the apostle, in his first letter, 1 John 2.16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Uh, and so the word flesh here uh, means our fallen nature, that yearning, that insatiable hunger uh, to feel right, to be right, to have what we think will help us get it right. Uh, I've never met a boat owner who wouldn't say, gosh, if I just had a bigger boat, then I'd be happy. 
Think of your own version of that. If I just had whatever it is, if I just lived wherever that is, if I just knew whoever that would be, if I was married, if I wasn't married, if I had kids, if I didn't have kids, if I had more of this and less of that, then I'd be happy. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The Father wants to bless us in every way. The world wants to head fake us and seduce us into believing a lie that anything but God can give us the deep satisfaction to our greatest needs. That's not unusual. This is the conflicted nature that Jesus came into the world uh, to redeem, to heal, to transform, to save. And so desiring more and better in your life is not the problem. Absolutely not the problem. Do you have a desire for more of God in your life or more of the world? In this case, John is referring to the world as a place that has a value system in contradiction, in competition, in conflict with God's. The world, trying to get it together, trying to make it work apart from God. We know that God loves the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have life. But the flesh in the world, in this case, are used not as a, a, a diatribe against materiality, because God made us as material beings. Uh, he gave us all these beautiful gifts for creativity, curiosity, discovery, uh, a love for beauty, uh, the gift of human sexuality, uh, the gift of being able to imagine uh, things that we can do that would express uh, the delight we have in the beautiful world that God's created. But flesh and world in this case means the, the version that can never get us where we want to go. And so having a desire for God in your life versus a desire for what the world offers is the kind of more and better that leads us to a good place. For example, imagine the possibilities of desiring the good life according to God on, on God's terms. It's nothing but upside. Even when it looks like a downside, humble yourselves. Confess your sins. Think of others uh, as you think of yourself. It's all upside. More happiness, more wisdom, more discipline, more humility. Uh, a friend of mine told me not long ago, uh, as he talked to a group of young men who were incarcerated, nobody has ever gone to jail because of humility. If you were in jail or in prison and they said, hey man, what are you in for? Uh, humility. They would start laughing. Oh yeah, right. Everybody here is, is, is here because of humility. Right. How about more compassion, more courage, more generosity, more resilience, more self-awareness, more godliness, more willingness to serve God and to bless people in the process? Would there be enough evidence available to convict us of that? Can you have, imagine a judge saying, wow, you have this inexplicable desire to have more of what God wants to give you. Tell me about that. It would sound like a trophy uh, ceremony, not a sentencing ceremony. Imagine the news. Uh, the news caster comes on uh, TV or whatever medium you're using and says this, inexplicably, inexplicably, more people are honoring God and blessing people this week. It's broken out all across the country. Schools are thriving. Lawsuits are down. The market is up. Enemies are being reconciled. Marriages are healing. And CNN and Fox are off the air. It's been an amazing week in America and around the world. To what do we attribute this? Let's interview some people. 
And they start interviewing people and they say, well, I've just decided to seek more of what God wants for me. And less of what the world offers me by way of false promises that they cannot fulfill. Pro tip here. The more that we want happens most effectively in supportive godly community. A healthy, supportive, godly community, a holy community, is God's delivery system for the good life. Not because we obey a bunch of rules and regulations, keep a number of rituals, any of which could be fine, but because we're drawn into a relationship at the heart of which, at the core and the center of which, is the Lord Himself, giving us life in all its fullness. We all thrive when we want more for one another than from one another, because that's how God leads us to think. I am blessed to be a blessing. Think about it. When you see people, when you relate to people in your family, in your network of friends, in the community, at work, when you think about your aspirations and plans, are you thinking what you want from people or what you want for people? When we demand something more, we usually get something less when we want something from people, not for them. Why? Because we start assigning them the responsibility to make us happy. I'm not happy. It's your responsibility to deliver on my happiness, to make me happy. Obviously, you're not doing your job. It's a downward spiral. It robs us of the good life and makes us anxious and angry that somebody is denying us the good life. And so, Paul writes to a, a group of churches, young churches, in the area called Galatia. Uh, the letter is called the Galatians. And in the central part of Turkey, from north to south, uh, there was a Galatia, uh, an area called Galatia. Uh, a beautiful area, actually. Hills and valleys. And in that area lived uh, a Celtic people uh, in the first century and Gentiles. And through Paul and others, they had come to know Christ. They had formed churches in these various communities from north to south, and they were thriving. This incredible Christ-centered community among these Gentiles, given to them, made possible by uh, the, the love and the compassion of these Jews uh, under Paul's leadership. Well, along comes some agitators, also Jews, who are demanding that if they're going to have the good life, they need to become more Jewish and abide by things like circumcision and other elements of the law. You know, Jesus is fine. These agitators perhaps had a faith in Jesus, a belief in Jesus, but they also had a belief that Jesus was not enough. You need something more than Jesus provides. You need what the law alone can provide. Well, of course, this uh, was a devastating uh, source of conflict, a disruption, a confusion. And so Paul writes a letter to them called the Galatians. I want to give you three big points that comes out of this letter that we've divided into six chapters. Paul is writing to people who were confusing more with less. An inexplicable desire to somehow set aside what they'd experienced in Christ for something other than uh, what Christ had promised them. So the first big idea that Paul lays out to them in chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians, because Jesus is Lord, we can be saved. There's a big message out there. Uh, you can be saved, here's how. And people will give us all kinds of ways that we can be saved. They might not use the word saved, your life can be better. You can advance. You, you can be satisfied. But it comes down to this. Uh, you can be saved. Here's how. And they give you their, their package, their program. 
but it's inaccurate. It's not possible because only God can give us what we need. And so the gospel, the, the, the core message of this movement of God's Spirit in Christ is this. Because Jesus is Lord, having died for the sins of the world, having been buried and raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, having given us the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. So this is the summary of the gospel. This fall, we're going to be talking about the expansiveness of the gospel. The gospel is this, but much more than this. But the core of it would be what Paul is saying to them. Because Jesus is Lord, and He's your Lord. You have been saved, and you're thriving in Him. What what are you talking about? You need more. We're saved by Jesus, Messiah, fulfilling God's promises through Abraham. He's the more we all need. He moves us from death to life, from fear to faith. What's true about Jesus is now true about us. We are made righteous in Christ. We have full access to the good life in Christ. Not a religious life, a full life, a life that embraces every aspect of creation, every expression of human ingenuity and creativity. Because Christ is the one through whom all things were created. So He's giving us access to what we were created for. And so Paul writes in Galatians 2, 19 to 21, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through my efforts in obeying the law, fulfilling the demands of the law, Christ died for nothing. It was because nobody could fulfill the law that Christ came to fulfill the law on our behalf. And there's any number of things in the law that we are wise to adopt and, and to embrace. But our salvation, our access to the good life comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. So that's the first big idea that Paul wants us to know. It's about Jesus. And the second idea is this. In Christ, God has created a new community, a multi-ethnic family of God. It includes Gentile Celts and, and Jews uh, from Israel, Palestine, and as each nation comes to know Christ, something profound is happening because this new community, this multi-ethnic family includes our ethnicity, our social status, our personality, our gender, our geography, our culture. We find that God is above all cultures, and by His love and grace, He works through all cultures to redeem them as people respond to Him by faith. This is what's so fantastic about meeting a brother or sister in Christ from another culture. To see how they are living out their faith. Same same thing that we have. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one word of God, but expressed in a diversity of cultural settings. There's nothing more beautiful and creative and fun than that. When a culture finds its highest and best expression in Christ, not becoming another culture, but becoming... Uh, what Christ wants them to be in their culture. And this is what was at stake that Paul wanted them to know. You don't need to become Jewish. You need to become alive in Christ, along with your brothers and sisters who are Jewish and alive in Christ. So it's not about Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. It's about Christ in you. And so he unites us across cultures, and together we comprise God's household. So Paul says to them in chapter 4, verse 7, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, all of us, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons and daughters. 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, that Aramaic word that means dad, daddy, papa. An endearing way of of, of knowing that we come into the presence of our loving heavenly father. So, he says, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Everything in Christ is made available to you through Christ. What a family experience. Because Christ is Lord, we're saved. And because Christ is Lord, we're saved into a community at which he is the heart, the center. He's the head, we're the body. It's powerful, it's beautiful. And then the third point is this. We thrive and grow in God's new community by the Holy Spirit. It's not that having been saved by grace, we say, well, let's just roll up our sleeves and figure out what to do. Our effort is fantastic. Our commitment to exploring all the possibilities of faith uh, engage us, move us from uh, passivity to actively being engaged in this adventure of what it means to walk with Christ. But it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is the source of the power in us. And as we respond to the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we discover that we're capable of, of, of making great strides in our faith, discovering great things, appropriating great truths, applying great uh, things in the name of Jesus. And so what does it mean to be part of the Holy Spirit? Well, it means that God himself is abiding in us. And sometimes that's expressed in, in speaking in tongues for some people, prophetic utterances, interpretation of dreams, all in accordance with God's Word. For other people, it's, uh, it's about being able to discern truth in the Word of God, uh, to give care and compassion to people, to organize things so that the body of Christ can flourish and thrive and be effective in its mission. So the Holy Spirit brings all kinds of gifts to us, empowers us, uh, convicts us of sin so we can keep confessing and receiving the forgiveness that, that, that keeps us whole. It allows us to have the confidence to trust God in difficult circumstances. It's nurtured in worship, Bible study, prayer, meditation, good works, and mission. In Christ, the law is now fulfilled, and now His new creation is in progress, and we're part of it. We're expressions of the new creation. We are, Paul says in another letter, new creations in Christ. And so he writes to them in in chapter 5 saying this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free in Christ, free to be everything you were created to be. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, right? To fall back on the false promises of a broken world. The inadequate ways that we want to manipulate things to get what we need. But serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. Uh, this is the heartbreak about what this, this well-intended family has gone through, has put themselves through, along with a lot of other families. Instead of saying, look, our kids are not ready for the university they want to attend. We'd love them to have the same experience we did at the same university. Whether that's possible depends on what their capacities are. So in that sense, you say, look, 
uh, two years at community college will help you perhaps get into USC or whatever college you want to go to. Or maybe there's a college that's better for you because we're asking you to uh, be the best version of you. And you don't have to lie, cheat, or steal to get that. You simply have to show up and do the work. And God will meet you there and help you accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. I'm sure all of this is waving, uh, is, is, is waving over and through these parents who made these outrageously bad decisions out of a kind of a distorted version of loving their kid. Because they weren't preparing their kids for life. They were setting their kids up for either more of the same or a big crash and burn because they couldn't live up to uh, what they had been artificially um, allowed to do. You see the power of this? To live an authentic life requires a, a community to say, hey, we're with you, we're for you. Wouldn't it be great that uh, those kids who've gone through this trauma would find their own way in, in, a, in a college environment or, or whatever vocationally they're best at doing? And wouldn't it have been great had they been able to say, hey, mom and dad, thank you for supporting me all the way. I know you were disappointed. I couldn't get into that school. I was. It's embarrassing not to do what I said to all my friends I was going to do. But wow, the way God used it in our lives has been so powerful, so profound. You see, this is where this goes. The community supports us in us making the decisions and owning the responsibility of managing our own lives. But we do so because we're in Christ, part of his family, and empowered by his Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit cultivates the more of what we need. So Paul writes in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And this good life isn't always easy. The good life is actually quite difficult. Why? Because we have to make tough decisions. Not to lie, cheat, and steal. Not to use and abuse people. To manipulate circumstances. To misrepresent ourselves. But the good life isn't always easy, but it's always interesting and worth the effort. So Paul writes in, in chapter 6, let's not become weary in doing good. Don't abandon the good life or the false promises of this world or even the, the impulses of your own flesh. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, and God never gives up on us. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I love the way Paul finishes this off in Galatians 6.15. What counts is the new creation. Not living up to your parents or the world's standards of anything, but I am part of God's new creation. What does that look like in me? What are those standards internalized in me, empowered by His Spirit? The new creation, it is meant to give us all access, not just to a good life, but the good life. The good life is the new creation. It's now. It includes you. It's for everyone. This fall, we want to, to talk about the new creation and welcome others to explore it. It's a big moment for our church because we're in the midst of this horrific, uh, upsetting, disruptive uh, coronavirus episode. We're also in an election year, so our culture is... is uh, all agitated and uh, anxious. Uh, there's, there's just so many things that are overwhelming people. What I want to offer you, what we as a church want to offer one another and our community, is a conversation about what it means to know the living God. And so we're going to be launching Alpha, which is a fantastic uh, way of facilitating a, a significant conversation about God. 
It's not about talking people in or out of anything. It's about inviting them into a safe place where they can have a serious conversation uh, about important things. And so Alpha is a movement that started in London about 30 years ago. It's been transformational in that uh, country, in the UK. It's now, uh, it's now involved 30 million people around the world. It's a brilliant way of having a necessary conversation. So we're going to be doing Alpha Online beginning Wednesday, September uh, 16th. It'll go from 6 to 7. It'll go through November uh, 18th. The whole idea is that you, you, you register, uh, you show up on that Zoom call. Uh, there's a, there's, I'll be there to welcome you. Hey, welcome to tonight's uh, Alpha uh, gathering. Uh, we're going to watch a, a, a brief video, about a 20-minute video, beautifully done uh, movie, a small film around the, the topic of the evening. Eat while you're watching that. At the end of that, uh, we'll move people to, to uh, discussion groups. Uh, there'll be men's tracks, women's tracks, a youth track, young adult track. Uh, if you want to do it as a couple, uh, we'll accommodate you that way too. It's going to be phenomenal. Why? Because just for the people in our congregation, it'll be a great uh, reigniter and renewal of our own faith. Another way of saying, okay, that's why I believe what I believe. But then for the people we invite in the community that are, are perhaps friends, family members, they'll also say, wow, I've never really thought about these things before. So it's for believers and non-believers as well. That's what makes it so powerful and beautiful. Uh, what does it cost? It just costs you some commitment to register and to show up and to care. There's no financial cost to you at all. You'll be hearing more about it. In the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and, and may it it reflect from you uh, to light on other people and bless them through your presence and Christ's presence in you to them. May this happen now and forever in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.